Hello and welcome to the Daily Lawyer podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Jana Krishnan, your host, and this is yet another episode in our careers in the law series. And today we have a very interesting episode with a very interesting person whom I was just getting to do a little bit before we started recording. I can't wait to know more about her and her story and how she came to, uh, you know, how did she choose this career, this absolutely global career. So I'm speaking uh, about, and I'm going to be speaking with Priya Darshini Hariharan. She's a human rights lawyer. She's a lawyer from India, but she's currently based, uh, she's actually joining us from Iran. Uh, because she works with the UNHCR, which is the UN Refugee Agency, United Nations uh, Refugee Agency. So Priya did her uh, basic law degree from India, from ILS Pune, and then went to the University of Exeter to do uh, her master's in human rights law. And after she completed her master, she's held various positions uh, in public interest, legal support, and research before she joined uh, the UNHCR full-time in 2013 and has been with them since. So I'm so excited, Priya. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're joining us all the way from Iran. Um, and I'm so grateful that you made uh, the time to come here. So please welcome to the Daily Lawyer podcast. Thank you very much. And I correct you on two small points. Yeah. It was University of Essex. Is it? That I went to. Yeah. I wrote extra. Okay. And, and, and I started with UNHCR in 2011. It's okay. It's a small thing. Now I will jump right into the conversation. We've been chatting and I think I can keep chatting with you. Uh, and I would, <laughs> I almost forgot to press record. So like I said, um, I, I can't wait to hear more about your journey, but because it's so different from what I, and, and we are more or less the same age in the sense that our, uh, you know, our careers in every way, we passed out more or less in the same year and things like that. So at that time, this was never part of my, uh, I didn't even think about it, to be honest. It was not even there in the horizon. So how did you think of this and take us back to your journey starting from law school? Uh, and how did you come here? So um, that's an interesting question because I get asked that a lot, uh, especially people who are like around my age group. But um, for me, actually, this was never a... Uh, I always wanted to do this um, even before I uh, so when I was in school uh, so there's one thing about me which is I, I don't know um, you know some people are focused from the very beginning some people you know find their calling later in life but for me it was very clear even when I was in school I was very focused there were two things that I wanted to do I either wanted to be a doctor or I wanted to be a lawyer. I know they don't connect. They're completely different. But actually a lot of people have, even me, uh, I had a similar, I did not want to be a lawyer, but definitely I had doctor as an option. But we have somebody else on the on the podcast who had the exact same uh, options. So it's common. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, it's not <laughs> very uncommon. People sometimes ask me, doctor and lawyer, what's the connection? Yeah, uh, they're so both professional, uh, you know, they're both professions where your skill, you, your skill uh, affects your success. You know, your, your success yeah. is almost entirely possibly. based on your skill and your skill. hard work, right? So possibly. So with doctor, it was like, I was always very interested in biology and I was very good at it. Uh, and I think the law thing, I, I, it came to me because I, I used to be a debater in school. So I used to participate in a lot of debates, declamations, etc. And uh, a lot of public speaking. The irony is that I'm petrified of public speaking even today, but I still used to do it <laughs> then. And I still continue to do, you know, I still you have to like, You job. haven't uh, uh, outgrown the fear. No, I still haven't it's a joke and those days the fear used to be even greater but i used to always still participate because i used to be pushed by my teacher saying no you are eloquent you should so mm -hmm. i i used to and uh, and i actually somehow did well at it uh, even though i used to be extremely nervous like the first five minutes but after that i used to flow into it so i think that that's also what you know debating etc made me very interested in law and then but i always thought it's my second option while um, you know i started appearing for entrance exams etc somewhere down the line i realized that 
I don't think I want to do medicine and I think law has become my first choice and not medicine anymore because giving those entrance exams, I just realized that maybe it's just too much for me. You know, it, it was a long, hard road ahead. And it's just, it's not that I didn't like it. I did, but then I said, no, if I can do law, then I'd prefer to do law. And even when I wanted to be a doctor, it was, I always wanted to uh, join like something like uh, Doctors Without Borders, you know, I never wanted to uh, work in a hospital, like a corporate hospital. That was not my dream. I always wanted to do something like that, that involved traveling, adventure. So I think that was my calling. So even when I started studying law, I always had this in my mind that I either want to join the foreign services or I want to, um, you know, work for the United Nations. And I had this peculiar interest in human rights. Um and humanitarian affairs. So of course, uh, you know, working for the foreign service means you are a, you are a career diplomat and you represent a country. Uh, and of course, few years down the line, I realized it's a good choice, but I don't think that I want to really necessarily represent a country. I want to represent, uh, you know, humanitarian principles, human rights principles. That's what I want to work for. So it was very focused from then. And I think it kept shifting here and there or getting a bit more narrowed in or focused as I went along in in law school like from the first year to the third year and then by the time I was uh, in my fifth year it was very clear that I wanted to you know pursue this so I wanted to do my master's and get up because you know in in India you don't necessarily I mean we had this international human rights law as one subject but it's very basic it just touches upon I wanted to dive deeper into it that's why I went ahead and I did that. And then while I was doing my master's, I chose refugee law as a subject and I was just blown away. And I really wanted to only work uh, with UNHCR after that. It became my, I, I would have, you know, worked in another UN agency. And even now I think sometimes maybe it's good to have, you know, the other perspective shift a little. I don't mind that. But somehow when I, was doing my master's and when I graduated I had it quite fixed in my head that you know UNHCR would be my first choice I really do want to work for refugees I don't know if it has something to do with my teenage years when there was the Afghan uh, crisis and we had um, the the Afghan like civil war and then we had a lot of refugees Afghan refugees in Delhi in the area where I was growing up particularly so I have gone to school with them. My dentist growing up was an Afghan. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I used to play with those, uh, you know, I had friends from the Afghan community. So I don't know, it was very, um, refugees was kind of stuck in my head. Yeah, it was thing is actually, my... from, it seems like it was your, you know, it, it was all, almost like designed to take you from yeah childhood. I guess and yeah. then I've also grown up listening to stories from my mother who heard from her grandmother how they traveled from Myanmar on foot during World War II during the Japanese occupation of Myanmar because my mother's side of the family was all in Myanmar oh, they were all it? taken by the British and they were there working for oh. the British railways there oh. and they all left and came through the jungles along hard journey on foot um in like through the forests from northeast india to calcutta and then they, you know how they came back to india and how at the time in india the british had introduced a you know burmese refugee quota uh for schools and colleges and my grandparents and his their siblings actually they all went to god admission in that quota otherwise they were to go and study in Rangoon like engineering but then you know how they got uh, they moved here and it was basically displacement so again those stories stayed with me always so yeah sorry very long answer for a no 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 but question. very fascinating answer because you've uh, I really I mean all of our life experiences inform our choices so in in that sense I see where you're coming from um, but it is quite fascinating. But for somebody who doesn't know anything about human rights law, except the spelling, 
how do you how will you explain to such a person what is it that you do not just you do as in you as a human rights lawyer or any human rights lawyer what does what do you mean by human rights law anyway and what does a human rights lawyer do i mean i would classify myself more in the humanitarian affairs of course human rights um kind of is a part of it because when you, you say women's you want to just give a, a sort of a distinction because it's like for people who know absolutely nothing so if you say humanitarian affairs and human rights maybe like give so it a humanitarian law is uh, is basically um since this is addressed to lawyers i can maybe use some, some geeky uh, legal jargon it's basically the geneva conventions and uh, you know it, it's when there is war and what you can do in that uh, frame so the geneva conventions are part of humanitarian law whereas human rights law are more instruments like uh, you know uh, the convention on child rights uh, uh, cedaw the the women's right, uh, convention and you know all these other things and um, refugee law usually forms part of uh, humanitarian uh, Uh, so, so will because, it be will it be correct to say that humanitarian law for someone who doesn't know ha huh, uh, for humanitarian law is more macro in scope in the sense that deals more with the principles uh, peacekeeping sort of principles that uh, yes. that uh, nations have agreed to summarized it better than me yes under yes. the geneva convention because i think 170 yes. countries ratified the Gen- geneva convention and human rights law is like uh, a, you know a subset of that in the sense that it's specifying Uh, how yeah, those principles will be applied absolutely. to children to refugee uh, to women and but human rights law is not necessarily in the context of war you know it's yeah, it yeah that's true so, yeah so it's not entirely yeah, a subset yeah yeah, yeah. So but maybe it flows from that different. yeah yeah otherwise yes you're you're absolutely right so that's uh, of course they have a link for sure uh, you know even for when we advocate for refugee rights those are human rights that we are advocating for you know uh, the socio economic type of rights of course not political rights for refugees in the country of asylum not that but yes right to education you know and of course we also for refugee children we would like ideally when we talk about principles that uh, you know um, the same kind of rights that um, a country let's say that has signed or ratified the convention yeah on um, on child rights will offer to refugee children as well yeah. so of course so that that element is also there yeah so so uh, as a human rights lawyer you you mostly advocate for people like this like in your case you advocate for the refugees or are you part of policy making how do you help governments uh, what exactly does a human rights lawyer do in so i mean if you're a human rights lawyer you can do many things you could work for an ngo you could work for uh, a un agency you could work for uh, you could even be a private practitioner somebody who you know privately practices human rights law you know that is also possible but in my case um uh, what we do is essentially uh it depends from country to country it really depends on the specific country the the operation we run there and the operational context so in many countries we are engaged in building the asylum system uh we um uh, you know we have uh, we we provide capacity building for the governments to build their own asylum system because of course we as unhcr we recognize that uh ultimately it's the host country that is has to take responsibility for um and they are ultimately responsible so we are there to support them so in some countries we have these capacity building programs where it's more about you know asylum capacity development etc in some countries we are running operations because there may not be a functioning government for instance in um in locations where uh, you know there's an ongoing war or just yeah, immediate post conflict yeah. Yeah. yeah or immediate post conflict yes or in other you know developing settings um sometimes governments are not amenable to take on or they are not ready to take on the asylum role and we continue keeping that you know asylum granting role as well 
so there are you know broadly there are these uh, areas that we would work on and when it is um, uh, let's say it's a post immediate post conflict setting or a active uh, you know conflict setting in those cases we provide services to a much larger extent than we would do in you know let's say non conflict settings because so, there in those settings services exist and we only kind of support or supplement those services and we would advocate for refugees to be included in the existing services available hmm. in the country for the nationals hmm. so when you say services you mean uh like basic like, necessities or yeah like, like for, from basic necessities to actually schools in yeah, yeah camps like we can we run even schools and camps uh sometimes it's housing you know, uh, uh housing i mean of course food distribution we don't do because we have a specialized yes, agency course, for that, yeah. WFP, yeah but non-food items we could even you know do that shelter yeah. housing we do all of all that of in an emergency setting in a conflict setting immediate post-conflict we would engage much yeah. larger in that sense because of course the the concept is that once there's conflict then there's post-conflict then you're supposed to slowly transition to the development side then we yeah. start handing over to the development actors who are there to stay longer term and continue supporting the government longer term on these things so that is not what the unhcr does in the sense that the you you hand it over to another agency that stays with the government and uh, does the can, development is it i can give you an example of like iraq for instance mm. there was conflict we did a lot we ran camps we provided because of course there was an issue with not having a yeah, you know a fully functioning government and even whatever you had they were too engaged in they don't have yeah. the resources nor the you know yeah. uh, ability to do it then so we are then providing those services um so and that's at the time not only for refugees but also internally displaced people people mm -hmm. who have been displaced within the borders yeah. of their country and then um as we move to post-conflict and more development agencies like UNDP etc mm -hmm. started moving in ILO you know they yeah. work longer term with yeah. the government to put their capacity on let's say labor on you know yeah. other development projects but, infrastructure yeah. projects and of course then we you, you know, start yeah. yeah and then we become more limited to just refugee advocacy refugee law and maybe service provision to refugees because you have to recognize that a country that's just coming out of conflict who are struggling to provide services to their own citizens Nationals, may not yeah. be able to provide services also to refugees and some yeah. of these countries not only have their own displaced people they have also refugees coming in at the same time so it's a huge burden so yeah. it's all part of burden sharing so we are there yeah. to support and share the burden and of course these processes i mean i'm explaining it like this but it's not something that That's ends so or simple. yeah of course it's done in one or two years this is a matter of 15 of 20 years yeah. sometimes yeah so just to give context, because I'm sure a lot of the listeners will know what a, who or what refugees are, uh, but just to give context to what a refugee or who a refugee is, is basically any person of any age uh, who is has to leave his or her country of residence or birth or the country that they recognize themselves as belonging to because there's a conflict situation and they simply cannot live in that country for reasons of safety or, yeah, I think... Conflict, yes, but also sometimes just persecution based on. Yes. So even in non-conflict settings, we would yeah. sometimes find refugees who yeah. are, who have left because yes. of persecution based on race, religion, nationality, yes. membership of a particular social group or political opinion. Yeah. So so it all comes down to you don't feel safe in your own country, and therefore you, out of necessity, you're leaving. And then when you leave, you're typically leaving, leaving everything behind and literally just. With the clothes on your back. Displacement. Yeah. To, to summarize it in. Yeah. Uh, it would be yeah post displacement. So yeah, yeah, because lots of people confuse migrants with refugees. Yeah, exactly. That's why I wanted to clarify because uh, you are a UN refugee agency, so you take care of refugees and not migrants who are no. moving for uh, for mostly for financial gain. I also have a UN agency that have that works that, with migrants specifically, oh, then that's uh, that's another agency. So yeah. we are working with. But of course, there are you know it's also it also gets very complex because now we are seeing situations of mixed migration. Yeah, yeah. 
that's so, true you know it's uh, where you have refugees mixed up with migrants yeah, you yeah, have that yeah. as well and then of course we all come together to work with them yeah so now you've given me a beautiful segue into the next question that i wanted to ask you which is uh, you've you've done a fantastic job explaining what the unhcr does but what exactly is your role in the sense as a lawyer uh, how do you come in the picture as a, and why are you even required i mean why is a lawyer required let's say in this because you don't know the law right you're you're not you are you're india trained and you're uh, uk british trained uh, but you're working in iraq and you're working in iran and you're, no, you're probably not even working in commonwealth countries you know you're working in yes true i have not worked in a commonwealth yeah, country exactly when i worked uh, with unhcr in india <laughs> yeah so that's at least your home country in the sense but yeah. you know so everything is different uh, so why a lawyer and how do you fa- factor into this so um a lot of agencies actually would benefit from i mean not to say that non lawyers cannot join it's not at all like that what i do and uh, many of my colleagues are actually not necessarily trained lawyers and one necessarily doesn't need to be either uh, you can do it without but you need to have the basic ability to analyze and understand laws for sure so for sure i mean having a law degree does help and there are many agencies that do this you know that help um, like for instance uh, other agencies working in other areas would help the government build sometimes laws in that respect um, like labor for instance for us it's refugees so if you're building an asylum uh, system which normally is not judicial it's quasi judicial always most of the time that's how it normally works uh, so you need to have an understanding because we recognize that the 1951 convention the 67 protocol that is refugee law those are let's say the um, international standards of how uh, refugees that we all agree nation yeah I mean, and it- how uh, yeah the countries that have signed it or even that have not necessarily signed it that is our our uh, let's say international norm and standard for uh, for uh, governing any asylum law of course i mean not every country even countries that have signed it don't necessarily they do make adjustments and you can to suit your context uh, you know your system and your uh, peculiarities for sure so that understanding i mean that's what initially unhcr was established for that was the core core very core mandate of unhcr that's what unhcr was first established for so that's the reason you'll see a lot of lawyers in unhcr because normally you start with the asylum capacity development or uh doing something like refugee status determination where you are in within unhcr having um status determination procedure according to uh the 1951 convention so there is a categorization is it yes on okay. behalf of the let's say government where the government okay. has not assumed asylum okay status okay. determination responsibilities okay. so that's the very core function of unhcr that's why you end up seeing a lot of but then of course once you do this then you know there are other things like programming for refugees you know running education programs and things like that and usually all of that broadly would fall under refugee protection so that's why you'll see a lot of protection officers which i am with unhcr being uh, lawyers as well by training but not to say that you know non lawyers cannot it's something you will find a lot of non lawyers as well doing it who can understand basically international uh, legal principles and standards for refugee law then they can definitely do it there's yeah. no problem but I, i see i see how maybe because i'm also a lawyer by training and by practice i see how our training practice education and generally the way we are taught to think uh can can uniquely sort of be advantages to this kind of position that you are holding on you or your counterparts in any of the other agencies will hold mm-hmm. now um yeah it is helpful i have to say because when colleagues who are i mean of course we work with a lot of um let's say uh, national colleagues who like as an international staff member i would work yeah. with a lot of national colleagues who yeah. are 
tra- by training lawyers in their own country yeah. and then when they explain something to you it's kind of easier you to know, understand you can yeah you can kind of understand yeah. for sure yeah and you know where to but go you know, law is something that people do also later in their lives yeah it's not like you can't read and learn yeah know, that's true. like engineering or medicine yeah yeah, yeah. it's, it's more common sense people. yeah exactly then so it's like technical. how so, so many people you know they study something else and then in their yeah, when they are 35 40 they realize yes. oh i think i want to do and then they study for three years this or you know like evening college uh, they study law and then they graduate and some of them even practice afterwards yeah that's true so that that's why i'm saying like it's not that you know that rigid you it will you help can. for sure but if let's say you have the ability to read learn and understand you can still do it yeah now tell me um because we're speaking about the law and the and the skills that uh, the legal training gives for a role like this if you are speaking to an indian law student or a young lawyer or even uh, anyone let's say uh, who is interested in this field what you know you you what does the indian law degree give you first of all and is it required to do for for having an international job like this is it required to do a masters from a foreign university uh, like you did from from britain but any other country you think is it required does it help or with the basic indian law degree you can uh, get this job let's say i think there's no requirement for a masters neither is uh, you know uh, a basic law degree from the home country can also be uh useful there's no problem at all and then what you learn is through experience after that so that's absolutely fine and even if you don't have a basic law degree that is also fine you can still uh you know you could maybe yeah. get an internship learn a bit and then uh yeah. work for an ngo work in a similar you know an ngo that probably works yeah. with the vulnerable communities and then also you know apply for for jobs if we we in UNHCR or you know within the UN system so that's also so there's no ne- i mean necessarily no requirement as such but i think it, it can be an asset for sure yeah if you have that it's a, it's an asset but it's not uh, i wouldn't qualify it as a as a but does it make you more marketable in the sense that because there must competition to get into this must be fierce right because you are competing yes not for sure your... that's why i said it's an asset it will yeah. make you more, more marketable for yeah. sure but i think the better thing to do would be to maybe finish your studies um like your bachelor's not necessarily do your master straight away gain experience through internships work experience even work and uh, you know similar work let's say in yeah. related relevant work experience yeah. and then do your masters i think and that's i think something i didn't do but looking back if i could yeah. do it again this is how i would do it it's much better to do your masters yeah, um, yeah i agree i agree because you i think you are also able to um enjoy the course a lot more and sort of take a lot more out of the course because you have a yeah. better perspective also uh, you know you meet people and uh, you're not so clueless when you meet them because yeah. i met them i was very That's... young never worked i mean of course i'd done internships but i never really you know worked worked so they brought a lot of experiences from their working life during classes yeah uh, you know a lot of practical experiences yeah. that i didn't have yeah. so i think i think that's always helpful yeah so, i agree when that. when i was uh, when i was in colombia even though most of us did go after we had worked for a couple years but you know working for a couple of years when when you're in a batch of people some of whom have been judges uh okay they've been judges in a sort of quasi judicial capacity but they still have been adjudicators so the kind of perspective they are bringing to dispute resolution uh seminars or uh classes is something that it takes you a lot of time to get to that level to understand also because they are bringing uh, a perspective of having adjudicated disputes for almost 3 years so i mm-hmm. i totally see what you mean so now if you have to advise uh, a law student Mm-hmm. who is interested like you who was very clear about uh, the fact that he or she wants to get into do human rights law how would you uh, what would you tell him or her from starting from law school what should they do how should they sort of craft not just their 
a student life, but then their internships, career, like what are the, what will you tell them? Um, how should they craft? Well, I would say that, I mean, if they're so clear that they know that they want to do this, then definitely do a lot of internships locally and also try to do them internationally. That would be very good. And now- Internationally, uh, you know, international... only with the UN like, or? Uh, no, not necessarily. Other... Maybe an NGO. Uh, Outside you know, An international NGO. Like Amnesty or something? That gives good experience. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, or even, there are many others, you know, many uh, international NGOs uh, that they could uh, get internships with. Uh, also, um, or within the UN system or the ICC, many of these organizations offer internships and good internships. So that gives a lot of exposure. And then if you had any doubt in your mind, whether you're cut out for it or not, also will be, um, you know, clear in your head, whether you want to do it going forward or not. So I would really say, yeah, load up on those internships because they're very, uh, very useful. They teach you a lot. And I think, um, yeah, that's where I also missed out because I don't, I, I was just able to do internships, you know, with NGOs, etc. locally, which is not bad. It did teach, but I think when you do a bit internationally, you have more exposure. So that's good. And would you recommend that they do moots? They do, they write articles. They, uh, uh, I don't know, they, um, what, what, what else can they do? Um, articles and moots, I would qualify them as extracurricular. If yeah. you're interested, for sure. But yeah. I don't think that that has any bearing on uh, your ability to perform or get your internship. And maybe, okay, maybe it might help in getting an internship or two at that stage. Mm. But uh, in your future career, it will have not really any... Uh, it Moots will help, of course, with self-confidence. So yeah. that's why I'm saying it's more personality development yeah, and true. extracurricular rather than it necessarily having a bearing on you getting a job afterwards. That's true. And for somebody who is already in practice, but wants to pivot and get into human rights law, how would, what, what would you tell such a person? Where should they start? What should they do? Whom should they reach out to if they have to? Mm, who wants to pivot? Um, I, I would assume that they have maybe had an experience with their, I, I don't know, uh, with an internship or something like or that has yeah, made them like, change their mind yeah or, or like they you know a lot of um, councils they also work with ngos giving their time yes. for free because yes. they want to True. make an impact True. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Then, you know when, because the idea is a uh, priya and i'm sure i mean you obviously know this more than me but the idea is that or the thought is that you know this field of law doesn't pay and it's, I know. Yes. Yeah. I know. That's the thought. Yeah. People always but is think that, that true or is that not? Well, it really depends. Uh, but I would not say if you're in it for making the money, then I would say don't do it. That would be my advice. Yeah. Because I have never thought that one should do what they do with the sole aim of making money, even and beyond human rights or beyond uh, humanitarian law or you know. Uh, working in the field that I'm working, even outside of that. I think if you make that your goal, um, then you're not really doing what you enjoy necessarily. Pick what you in really enjoy doing. And if you pick what you really, really enjoy doing, the money will come. You know, you will do so well that you That's, will do the best. Yeah. Uh, in your field or in yeah. your to your ability and automatically whatever That's, money has to come will come yeah so i don't believe in this concept of you know going after just the yeah the money this is not uh, what i have uh, thought of from the beginning yeah. and i know a lot of people discouraged me also at the time oh it doesn't pay you won't do yeah. anything but it's if people who have done well in it and who have really enjoyed it have done well they are okay money-wise. I mean, sure, maybe they're not like millionaires and billionaires. Yeah, like the commercial lawyers, yeah. But it's it's definitely but, you know, not the... It's not, that's also not true that they're not like as... Uh, as wealthy uh, as the commercial lawyers, is it? Some of them are. It's just yeah. a matter of, uh, you know, uh, what I mean is maybe they, they are not 
ambani or bigger yeah, yeah. uh, but they yeah. make decent money and decent they enjoy money. doing what they yeah. do and so, i mean so, so essentially to live your life comfortably to yeah. travel etc they have so yeah so essentially it's not like what we think in the sense that it's chiller you don't get anything it's it's not that uh, but then then like any other field of law yeah like any yeah. other field of law the sky is the limit because uh, your uh, your uh, success really depends on your effort. i don't know if sky is the limit i ah, don't know okay, if i would yes. put it like that because yeah. it's, it is the you know not for profit sector yes, yes. and uh, you are i mean normally at least in international organizations it's a it's a bureaucracy so you yeah. have very uh, fixed yeah. you know like in a government job yeah you are a certain grade you get a fixed amount there's no question of asking for a raise and you know these type of yeah. things you get promoted you get a raise along with your promotion you know and if you're mm-hmm. doing well you will get the promotion if you are worthy you will get it so that's how so i i wouldn't put say sky is the limit but then you know this um for me i don't understand this this concept at all of sky being the limit because there's always somebody who's doing better than you yeah. so uh, even uh, when you talk to lawyers who are practicing you also have those lawyers who sit and do notary yeah who are probably yeah know, true not making as much money yeah and then you also have people some people who are practicing very well it goes very well for a few years and after that they're not making yeah. money necessarily so you can always look yeah so up and down that's true who has more money yeah. so money is not my criteria of judging anything i think if you do if you really enjoy doing something you will automatically do it well and you will automatically excel in it when you excel whatever needs to come in the form of money will come yeah that's that's good advice for everyone uh but i just wanted to uh, speak about the money part because the general no i'm sure yeah yeah the general perception said, uh, but it's not I... that you know you will be uh, living like a pauper yeah yeah. yeah yeah that i think that's I more important to clear it's up not like that yeah it's not like that like yeah. you know, i'm living very comfortably yeah and yeah. i have uh, you know enough to meet my needs and to even enjoy my life there's yeah. no problem with that you can yeah. surely do that yeah but yeah but it's not uh, but uh, yeah it's not about the yeah and like, i suppose if i, I started uh, at the very bottom so huh. i can tell you that yeah. uh, you know it was for sure not about and at the time my peers were in law firms making uh, you know three four times the amount <laughs> i was yeah. making but that never bothered me because i yeah. knew i was doing what i liked yeah. and i loved and i would um, i would do well at it and it yeah. happened like i yeah. did, I did end up yeah. yeah so priya just to close out this one section before we go to the fun fun sec this fun for me section uh, you you have uh, not just studied in mul- in couple of jurisdictions but you also have exposure to multiple jurisdictions because of your job what do you see from a comparative perspective what do you see as being the problems in our indian legal system i'm sure you can you can point out to a lot but also what do you see as being the strengths of our legal system and uh, things that you think we can do each one of us you me us in this position to generally improve the system so um flaws i think we are um one thing that has stood out to me as a flaw is that i think we're not precise and we're not concise including in the very court submissions yeah. and everything yeah. I, i think it i don't know where we get this from because even these common law countries yeah they don't do it gotten our system yeah. from they don't do it yeah. or maybe they did it in the past yeah, i don't know how it was you know at that at obviously yeah. in the 40s and yeah. 30s and 20s and they've left but it long ago and we are continuing with it really changed that yeah absolutely a convoluted form of writing and working when something can be said in one line yeah just use active voice i don't understand the need stops. to repeat or to absolutely. you know reiterate confirm declare i don't i don't yeah. i really don't get it i mean if you want to reiterate and confirm you can always do it you know in court in addition to your but i don't think that's uh, that's at all uh, necessary and uh, unfortunately this is how we are also trained in college to write and your marks really depend 
on how much you write, which uh, I find a bit ridiculous because it's you need to know the crux, not you know. It, it makes us very long-winded. Yeah. There's yeah. no. I mean, and I notice that a lot in people who um, who are Indian lawyers studied in India. I mean, lawyers generally all over the world are slightly long-winded, but yeah. in their you know way of yeah manner of speaking it's by training what to do <laughs> yeah, but um, but in india particularly they are extremely you know yeah. and we use not... passive voice because yeah. that's how we've been trained to write in passive voice we use commas instead of full stops we start our paragraphs with and 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 it's it takes training it's to break really uh, i mean it's not appreciated generally know, outside maybe that no i don't know litigation not, yeah or whatever we sector. had a queen's council uh in when i was as a legal counsel we used to do our own drafting so my boss uh had taken this document in the queen's council in england just threw it back at him and said what is this and then redrafted the whole thing and honestly that that was the genesis of my unlearning uh of all of these and then so I, I really credit that person for for doing that but it takes a lot of unlearning it took a lot of time yeah, to unlearn yeah, the way like that to me as for me as well like my f- first uh, job with UNHCR I was you know doing refugee status determination so you write it's a quasi kind like a quasi legal document that you produce you 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 uh, you know do an analysis a legal analysis of why the person is a refugee under what grounds etc my, my i had the same problem and then eventually i got over it <laughs> but it took some time so those are your flaws what do you think are our unless you want to continue on the flaws no no i think that's that's what, what stands out to me as a flaw what do you think are the advantages of uh, the advantages, I don't know if it's only the Indian legal system, but I will say it's um, common law in general. Mm. The, you know, the system of precedence. I think that is very, very, because I have not really worked in, you know, in my international experiences, mostly in countries that follow civil law. civil law. And I feel that having a court with and where precedents have value is a, is a, is definitely and giving judges that kind of um, authority authority is uh, is is very valuable i think so i think that is very very uh, useful and i find that's that's a strength hmm. it's obviously not only specific to india but but i think it's a yeah. strength i think globally if we look minority countries following this system are in minority. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right yeah so I never knew that, huh? I only knew that when I went to do my master's. Otherwise, I, I, well, I was, I was living under a rock. Clearly, I mean, but I did not know that. So yeah, no. So I think that's uh, that's very uh, yeah. useful. I find like yeah. that is a that's a good thing. Yeah. Now we go on to the fun segment for me because it in it helps me know you better. Uh, so we call the segment five, four, three, two, one. So I ask you five something, four of something, three of something like that. So uh, five productivity tips or apps you can say i can give me apps whatever that you swear by or that has helped you uh apps no i don't really use apps ah, so it's okay apps but was just uh, i'm old school i know you I know, know every i thought i'm being very cool by adding apps but not a single every single person is like listen yeah i don't use these apps at all like neither yeah. do i i actually don't i mean yeah. i did use a fitness app for a while but that's because i had a you know trainer yeah. and yeah. she was forcing me to use it even then i used to forget to update it yeah uh, even though i used to follow but uh, for me i can give productivity tips generally that i follow yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah app link yeah, yeah, that's fine um to do lists I think they're very helpful before going to sleep or the first thing in the morning. I'm, I'm not talking just work related, but also like for personal stuff, you need to do taxes, you need to do pay bills or whatever. I think that's very helpful. Um, it helps you prioritize and it helps you stay more focused on what you want to do and you know plan your day better. Um, eating healthy. And this I've learned the hard way because I have, you know, when you work very uh, crazy hours, sometimes you don't pay attention to this and it really does take a toll and it's 
not good because it takes down your productivity in the longer run so eating healthy is very important i think it's i mean and it doesn't have to be elaborate it can be something very quick and i really don't have time but i still make an effort to make my lunch and take it with me most days of course there are days i don't do it but most days um and not compromising on sleep and i've seen this particularly among my lawyer friends who are either you know working for law firms or uh, they still continue like they were in their 20s <laughs> so i think i don't know uh, how how they are i mean it's it is going to take a toll on the body and i think it is important not to compromise on sleep and to sleep at a reasonable hour is very very important um and of course um, staying active i would say is another thing nothing even if you're climbing stairs i think that's good enough again i'm giving these health related things because i have you know completely fallen off the wagon on all these things and it has taken and it had at one point taken a toll um you know and it then once you fall once it takes a toll you have to take time off you have to uh, reset and you don't get to work also let's say you really love working and you don't want to take that leave you will have to take it so might as well pay attention to these things from the beginning yeah and um i think i was i just posted something this morning on my instagram because i realize i'm realizing it now i mean you said you know we still work crazy hours no i don't really work crazy hours as much as i waste time to up to crazy hours uh, <laughs> but uh, i just said this morning i was i had i wake up early but i was so lethargic and i said that's because i didn't sleep properly and i didn't eat properly last night just rubbish you know so i completely understand what you mean by saying that i'm saying all of this and how it directly impacts our productivity the next mm-hmm. day so yeah uh i i agree with you on that now the four books that you would recommend and this is my favorite question i actually don't have four books to recommend but i have two only two okay it's okay yeah i only have two because you know i read a lot of uh, non fiction history books yeah that's and... fine no you can give non fiction and history also what's wrong with that okay i can then give you that as well yeah it but doesn't have to the... be like law related huh? yeah no no i would never read yeah. law related i'm very sorry but i wouldn't <laughs> my my uh, you know extra curricular and favorite pastime is history i really enjoy that i enjoy reading about it so um that's what i would uh, uh i would say i think almost all the books from william dalrymple i like i really like because he um it's it's so uh, also yeah, well researched and yeah. fact based and i really like that yeah and so, it seems like you it's happening in front of you right like it's he has a very lyrical descriptive way of writing that brings things to life and it kind of stays with yeah, me all yeah. so, so i i really like his and he has these and, obscure stories that come and he's like yes. his characters who, and, and it's and all well researched yeah, exactly. he has evidence yeah. for those yeah, and yeah, yeah. puts them in yeah so it's it's very very yeah. uh, you know interesting so i like that and then because i have been you know in uh, managerial positions for a while another book that i really like is um um managing your manager i mean while i have been in managerial uh, positions so of course this is not linked to the people i supervise <laughs> linked to so this could actually go for anyone but um, but that's a who, who is I the like. author of managing your manager so i'll have to check yeah, again that's fine because yeah. i not paid attention to the author it was recommended to be to me by one of my managers uh no my manager's manager who was have and when i told her that i was having a tough time at one point in my life with my okay. manager and i think it has some very useful tips i oh, can look it? up the, yeah no author, it's it's i think an, an american author if i'm not yeah. mistaken that's not okay sure. we ask we ask google these simple questions we can ask yeah yeah yeah, you, yeah. we can check with google uh the other one i really like is uh, the art of uh not giving up sorry i don't know if i'm supposed to say that word but i'm the second or the third person to recommend that book 
Okay, oh, you can yeah. beat that one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, I... so yeah, so that is uh, it's it's for me. I was why I'm recommending it is because um, you know I have a I have control issues. At least I had them. I wanted to control everything around me, and you know, and I just did not know when to let go. And I think this has really helped me through that, especially when I was new to managerial positions and roles it was even harder because it's somebody else doing the job you want to control it and you know you can't do it like that so i i have um, that that book really helped me and also the kind of field that i'm in the the work we do you know it's very much around you that oh you have to help you have to support you have to save and really people get too much into that and then they also lose you know their uh, sanity along the way because you're trying to you know we are also uh, bound by the amount of funds we have we are we cannot do everything right so so i think it's 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 good because you enter when you enter the stream you're very idealistic you think that you know you will change the world but doesn't change doesn't come like that so that's true so, yeah it gives you perspective basically yes for and sure. i agree uh, of course for me it gave me perspective on something else more for for my personal life in my personal life not so much in my professional life but certainly in my personal life so yeah. uh so you said three you want to say one more no i think that's it Three, okay. because this, this is all i would read to be honest all, that's fine uh what about three three tips that you would give law students hmm. uh i think always know what you want to do and what you enjoy um don't shy away from trying out everything if you're not sure what you want to do go ahead and try out multiple things while you are still a student do multiple internships in different fields don't always go to the same you know to top law firms who do the exact same thing and then you know you have those two brands on your i would say just try out and then that will also help you make up your mind because the second tip leads to the first it will you will know what you really really enjoy and um, yeah and don't shy away from learning new skills you will always learn like when i was in uh, school college i used to think okay that's it now i'm working i don't know but actually majority of my learning has happened when i started working and i'm still learning uh, our organization keeps introducing you know new databases and new platforms and we have to even you know you're close to 40 50 you still have to learn those things so never shy away from doing that because that's that's very important and that keeps you also motivated that and it keeps you more relevant with yes, everything you sure. can have conversations sure. with people you can understand people's perspectives just because you're constantly learning so i agree with that uh two life lessons that you've learned in your life till date which you want to share with everyone uh learn to let go and don't forget to care for yourself it's very very important i mean you you should care for yourself the most and then somebody else oh my god that is you spoke to my heart but you know this is something i don't know about you but this is something that i feel i am still learning um and it's happening much later in like it's happening in the last one or two years this is after them you know i have two kids blah 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 after all of that this is happening so i hope people sort of adopt it i yeah, wish it also it's it part of growing up in maturity you know it comes with age also yeah. a little bit but like but i think this is yeah we the should reason i'm also saying i'm emphasizing self-care is i know the audience of this is primarily indian yeah and particularly for women yeah uh, we are not brought up that's most of us majority of us let's say are not brought up like this that you know you uh, yeah i was lucky to have a mother who actually cared first for herself and then others <laughs> but uh, but you know um, you don't normally uh, yeah, see don't. that yeah it's always about caring for someone else first yes. and then no but if you've not cared for yourself you can't care for anybody else yeah that's true it's important yeah 
that's true i i completely agree and the best advice that you have ever received one piece of advice yes best advice i mean there are two i would say that i really yeah it's okay i can i always yeah. and two that i would give to you know colleagues as well now younger yeah. colleagues one to the youngest young my like the you know younger people who are just starting out i would say keep a growth mindset don't uh compare all the time with don't look at what others are doing focus on what you are doing while keeping a growth mindset i think that's very important because a lot of uh, at least from what i see and the colleagues i work with the very young colleagues that who have just who are just starting out they tend to get so distracted by who's doing what yeah absolutely. and their focus is not on what they are doing it's fine as long as you keep your focus on what you are doing let's say somebody else has gotten a bit ahead of you also you will get there because yeah. you're so focused on what you're yeah. doing so compete with yourself not yeah with, yeah and or you won't get there and that's okay also that's also okay yeah, yeah. that's fine I yeah mean, and maybe you will get somewhere else which yeah, is yeah, exactly comparable to yeah, yeah comparable because it's you can't measure it like this you know Absolutely. it's not equal yeah it's always yeah. going to be like yeah uh, if you don't get something you something else and better even sometimes comes yeah. along yeah so i think people need to like yeah and it's it that. takes effort obviously yeah. like i have i have also been very competitive looking at others this has happened and this still sometimes happens you know you feel but people tend to get so demotivated by it no that's why i'm saying also keep that growth mindset at the same time because yeah. that shouldn't affect you you know you shouldn't get demotivated yeah. you should look back where you were and how far you've come yeah yeah you should and one sorry yeah no no and another uh, although it's you said one but i will still say this uh because i tend to observe and i tend to also hear from my other um, from other lawyers let's say that you know the higher up you go you will be in a managerial position if you're interested and if you are going that route at some point or the other in a law firm in a company wherever uh lawyers have a reputation of being very bad managers hmm. and for a reason because we tend to micromanage and yeah. you know these type of things yeah. so i think people should remember that a coach who you know a, a micromanager someone who is a coach who's trying to get into the game and play the game rather than coach yeah. people true. so i think that is important to remember yeah because um yeah i think i think this is a, lawyers do have a reputation of not being such great managers which yeah. is not thing i think people should and it's not healthy you know yeah. if you're yeah. uh, it's yeah. it, it's important if you've come now to a managerial role then look at things from that angle yeah don't try to do the job yeah. that that you are supposed to manage yeah or lead yeah or a, you know even a better word lead yeah but you know this is very very good advice and i know that uh this of course it, there is i there are problems with lawyers because i think we are so used to we we our um effort in a large a sense informs our success so because of that i think we have that mindset that, oh my god i have to work i have to you know you you take that sort of responsibility so i suppose that's where it's coming from Or that also be. your effort is uh, also leading someone also a lot of effort goes in it yeah exactly exactly so that's your effort yeah. and then when your team shines and does yeah, well exactly and so that's your success yeah so this kind of change in your mindset is very 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 necessary yeah. even with even if you don't and have that's okay if some people like just don't like that kind of a role and then that's fine you should yeah, know you it. don't take it you yeah. should know that you don't like it and then then don't take it up yeah right? don't take it but if you're getting there then you have to change your yeah, mindset yeah, and you have to work on it yeah that's true you have to stop thinking like an employee and start thinking like a leader or like a worker or leader or whatever you know whatever words you want to use but yeah, like lead don't yeah. necessarily try to you know start perfecting the yeah, job yeah, and then, because sometimes i see all they do is they 
look at drafts and things and just you know nitpick and yeah. nobody else can write exactly the way you yeah. write that's yeah. not going to happen yeah. but you know even i'm guilty of doing this huh? and now like the first thing when you told me that incident came to my mind where i have returned a draft with red marks all over the draft we've all done that yeah all done that's that. true you know i mean i have i have done it too i've also like you know i've trained myself not to be yeah like yeah so i think that the point is that you can train yourself to be anything yeah. in your professional life but it requires training you yeah. have to control aspects of your personality sometimes yeah to be able yeah. to train yourself to do that you know yeah uh, it's not always like going to come naturally to everybody for sure and yeah and these are skills that can be built that's true i'm a completely different person at home from what i am at work you know? yeah because i've trained myself to be a certain way and yeah. behave a certain way at work but i'm not uh, necessarily uh, all my flaws come out when i'm at yeah, home yeah i mean that's <laughs> true no because home is more our safe space and exactly work. but i hide them well at work because yeah. i know some flaws are, can be damaging to the that's team true. and i don't want that that's true yeah that's really good advice actually and um I am going to close. I know that I asked you to come here for an hour, and we've like gone no, way. No, that's okay. I think I spoke too much. Maybe that's no, why. no, not at all. I we we had this great conversation. Now I'm not going to edit anything of this. I don't think anything is to be edited. The whole thing is going to go up, and whoever wants to listen will get a very valuable podcast. I think. Thank you so much, Priya, for giving me your time. You've been so generous with your time. and so kind also i know you bit your between travel schedules you're having this very busy time but you still took out time for me so i'm really grateful no no not at all thank you so much and sorry that it you know took so long oh, no, of course not hiccups of the timing and all of this yeah but, uh, but yeah but, yeah all's well that ends well so yes. have a lovely day ahead day night whatever you know day ahead yeah, and yeah. thank you so much and see you